soon to a theater near you. It's the Equalizers, a weekly podcast in which two idiots drop a cinema sibling in the lap of a perfectly content solo film. My name is Mike Knoll, and I am joined, as always, by the sequel to my prequel, Madison Jones. Madison, are you in good form? Sort of. I mean, this week was... uh, There was a lot this week. There was a lot this week. The movie we were doing this week was sort of a bummer. Bummerama. Yeah. Before we get too far into that, I want to go ahead and bring on our guest, uh, returning triumphantly from his stint pitching Super Mario Bros. Colon the movie Colon two Colon Mario's missing Colon the movie. Friend of the show, Daniel Na. Daniel, welcome back to the Equalizers. It's a me. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, Madison. It, I I'm, I suggested this movie because I remembered it being just the most wild and i forgot a lot about this movie i think repressed is probably a better phrase for what happened in my brain what i um expected going in was more of a uh wes anderson type Mm -hmm. movie just from the premise and like the dialogue sounds like wes anderson movie too the way they like deliver lines in their uh Yeah, when I heard about the movie, I thought it was going to be way funnier. There's dark comedy in it. And, like, there were points that I kind of laughed at, even though they were dark. But this was not really that. (laughs) No. Daniel, have you ever seen this movie? I have not, but I did read the summary on Wikipedia, and that was a lot to process just by itself in text form. Um, I thought the obvious fun game for us to play now would be, what animal would you turn into? We talked. We already talked about our protronuses um, in like uh, the Golden Compass. Um, I would say I would probably turn into a camel because I got the. So I'd have some nice. I'd have those curves, you know. Oh, yeah. um, and those hump, those hump, those humps. Those humps, those humps, those humps. That store water for use later. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, what? What? What's your? Uh... What's your fursona? I mean... <laughs> uh, almost got me. Almost got me. Um, I'd probably turn into... Hmm. Adam Sandler. Ooh. <laughs> That's a good one. Talk. Um, <laughs> seemingly, uh, I mean, you'll always somehow be relevant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's America's funny man. What can I say? Mike, you? I don't know. That's a tough one. Um... You'd think I'd have a prepared answer, considering I came up with the game. Yeah. You would think that, wouldn't you? Something... This comes up in my pitch, but I would say an owl. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Something... I thought of it... In my pitch, I came up with this person's animal being an owl, and I just thought, that'd be pretty neat. Awesome. That's that's oh. a little sample of the dialogue you might hear in the lobster. <laughs> 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 so... What uh, Daniel will do is um, he's going to be kind of the judge of this episode. We've done head-to-heads before, of course, where me and Mike have just done our pitches. But Daniel will actually choose the winner of, like, uh, choose what what pitch to him sounded like the better one. And now we will, I am in control. We will um, throw this up on Twitter as well and let you voice your opinion no matter what. But this, Daniel's decision will be the official winner. Yeah. So, listeners, your opinion doesn't matter. Now, I will say, though, 
based on Daniel's pitch from last week, he should abstain from saying what he thinks until the vote has been taken and then side with the majority. Oh, I see. I see what you've done there. Uh, you, I'll let you go first, Madison, because technically I, you went first in the now lost um, Into the Woods episode, but because it's lost All canonically, right. it's your turn. Is, right. it, uh, is it lost in the woods? It is. Well, yeah, if if you, you call the woods my empty recycle bin. Those are the Equalizer's dark tapes. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To go into my pitch, uh, my pitch. Actually, Madison, before you get to your pitch, uh, let me run down the plot very briefly of The Lobster for those who haven't seen it, who don't want to see it, and have repressed it much better than I did. Or maybe just read the Wikipedia page. That's true. All right, so The Lobster is a film uh, set in a world in which newly single people are taken to a hotel where they have 45 days to find a new mate or they will be turned into an animal of their choice. The movie focuses on the Colin Farrell character, whose name I cannot for the life of me remember. David. David, thank you. The reason the movie is called The Lobster is because the animal that he chose to turn into, should he not make it, is a lobster. While there, he meets and befriends two characters whose names don't really matter to the plot. They're both played by John C. Riley and Ben Wishaw. Um, the movie kind of meanders through conversations, odd seminars the hotel manager and her husband give to teach the guests how much they need a mate. Uh, the movie places heavy focus on commonalities. So, for example, Ben Wishaw wants to basically get with this girl who has constant nosebleeds. So he starts like hitting his nose on tables and stuff to make it bleed. So she'll think that he gets constant nosebleeds. Um, the hotel offers its guests the chance to earn extra days there. Uh, every so often they're taken to the woods to hunt down loners, people who don't really want to be confined by this system and live outside the law uh, in the woods. They hunt them with tranquilizer guns. And for every loner you bring back, you get one extra day. Colin Farrell eventually fakes being attracted to this woman who everybody says is heartless, but to test him, she kills his dog, which is in fact his brother who had been to the hotel previously and didn't make it out and became a dog. Colin knocks her out, turns her into some animal that they don't really elaborate on, but they make it sound like it was fucking horrible and flees into the woods to be with the loners. Here he meets and falls in love with a character played by Rachel Weiss, who's I don't think they ever give her name. This movie's not huge on names. No, her her name in on the IMDb is literally the short-sighted woman. Coincidentally enough, she is short-sighted, just like he is. Uh, in Lunar Society, affection and falling in love is strictly forbidden, so they have to keep it a secret. Uh, eventually, the loner stage a raid on the hotel to break up some of the couples. Uh, they tie up the manager and ask her husband, like, which of you do you think would survive if the other died? And he says, me. So she gives him a gun and says, shoot her. And when he does, the bullets, like, the gun's empty. So it's all just to show them that their relationship is like a facade. Colin finds Ben Wishaw and tells the nosebleed girl he fakes his nosebleeds to, again, fuck up the relationship. Uh, eventually, the loner leader gets wise to their love and has Rachel medically and permanently blinded. Colin ties up the loner leader and leaves her for dead in the woods while he and Rachel flee into the city. The movie ends with Colin trying to work up the strength to blind himself with a steak knife from a restaurant. Now, Madison, your pitch. Yeah, and um, something I want to add to that synopsis a little bit. In this society, it's not like this is just like you can be alone. It's that it's seemingly legally like 
like you have you have to be coupled with someone or it is against the law so it's kind of this like sort of um dystopia or some sort of like government basis on why people need to be coupled and most people who have like are coupled have some sort of unique defining thing they have yeah it's like some arbitrary commonality like the nosebleeds thing the nosebleeds Um, like that like it's weird how they're just like oh uh, the the heartless woman colin firth or colin farrell oh she's got no heart so i'll just pretend to be heartless she fakes choking at one point to test him and when he doesn't react she says i think we're a match nothing else they've never spoken in the entire movie yeah and when um colin farrell and rachel white weiss fall in love they're both short-sighted like yeah right? like like i think that they're attracted to each other when he finds out she's short-sighted it's like yeah I this she's the one for me. Yeah, it's those common, very loose commonalities Mm -hmm. that like people find important in finding a mate. Mm -hmm. Something else that I want to add also. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I Um, I, I asked you literally this afternoon. Hey, is there anything you want me to include in the synopsis for your pitch? And you said no. Just make sure you touch on how the movie ended. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't think about it that much. But um, when. His friend uh, gets coupled with the nosebleed person. Part of this test or part of being coupled and is moving on to the next phase where you get gifted or you get assigned a child to also take care of. That's if they have arguments that they can't. That's the joke is like that she says that now that you're a couple, if there are still like some arguments that you can't work out. Also, if you'll be given a child to help with that, like. Well, the parents are fighting. Let's have a kid to make it better. Yeah, but it's like they give that couple a child. You are given a child. You don't have a child. You're given a child. Like children are kind of used as tools in this society and and are seen as burdens or seen as like reasons to stay together or something like that. Um, So with all that being said, here is my pitch uh, for what I call the lobster two colon the lobsters <laughs> we open on a scene of a little girl maybe eight or nine that is looking across the street at a diner that has an ambulance at it and a bunch of police she's drinking a soda through a straw and is watching while the police run in and apprehend someone she gets closer and sees uh the short-sighted woman rachel wise be arrested by the police uh, to the young girl, she is the most beautiful woman she's ever seen. She then sees a man who is unconscious and bleeding being dragged out of the bathroom. Uh, curious about the woman and the man, she sees which way the police and the ambulance are taking them and follows. Um, so in this next scene, like I kind of want to establish this kind of concept that I noticed about the children mm-hmm. in this like world. And I touched on it a little bit. Um, where they're kind of like seen as just tools to be part of this relationship between two people. Mm-hmm. They aren't seen as like, oh, they're children, my beautiful like son or my beautiful daughter, or my beautiful child. It is more like, oh, they're a reason to stay together. Uh, they help facilitate this romance totalitarianism that is mm-hmm. in the movie um, and doesn't really care concern the notice of the children or invest any time in their lives outside of the family unit so 
I think if a child seemingly doesn't have a family, they just kind of go unnoticed because <laughs> they're not being used in mm-hmm. these family units. So that's kind of the error that this little girl uh, has about her mm-hmm. is that she's kind of separated from her family unit. So no one really like pays attention to her because they don't really care because she's not part of this per- a weird relationship between these two people. So this little girl's name is Colby. And she follows uh, the police car to the police station and sits down in the waiting room next to Rachel Weiss, who is handcuffed. And she listens to the police officer explain to her why they find the whole circumstance between her and David very odd and suspicious. Because why would this person go in to the bathroom and gouge their eyes out and everything? It seems like something fishy's up, which is something is kind of fishy up because they are kind of on the run from the hotel and like the government and they kind of are trying to falsify this like relationship together mm-hmm. kind of she lies to them and she says that he has become very depressed lately and he's actually been sort of suicidal he asks for her marriage certificate and which is something you're that everyone's supposed to carry around with them and she lies to him and tells him that they left it in the safe at home she kind of says this because she is looking for a way out to get out of this police station so she's not going to be arrested but the police officer doesn't buy it. Seeing and listening to this, Colby, the little girl, speaks up and tells her and the officer, I can run home and get it, Mommy. So she's posing as Rachel Wise's child. This surprises Rachel Wise's character, but she plays it off because it's like her only kind of card right now. <laughs> and she tells Colby to go and get it. They wait a little bit, and Colby comes back with a legitimate marriage certificate that has the names of Don and Marsha Bigby on it. Stunned, the short-sighted woman plays along, and the officer is convinced. Since the daughter's here, the marriage certificate's there, it's like, oh, okay. It seems like everything's kind of in order. Um, sorry for all the hubbub. We thought you guys were fugitives. Colin Farrell was, or David, it was suspected to be this person, but it seems like this is all a misunderstanding. Uh, let's uh, take you two to the hospital to... Uh, reconnect you with Colin Farrell. So he takes uh, them to the hospital, and uh, they he leaves them in the waiting room and goes talk to and goes and talks to a nurse, a few a little ways away. Colby can see him uh, talking to the nurse and sees their conversation get increasingly heated. She brings Marsha to the nurse and the officer who are having this heated conversation, and it is revealed that. David Colin Farrell uh, was losing a lot of blood and was in critical condition for this eye gouge that he was doing to his eyes, causing this injury, this severe injury to himself. They did all that they could, but they couldn't seem to close the gash in his eye fast enough, and he was losing a lot of blood. And since he was losing mm-hmm. a lot of blood and they didn't have a lot of more options, and they had already got word from the police that this guy was a fugitive. They went ahead and went through with his animal transformation. Damn. So this shocks the three of them. And Marsha, uh, which I'll, I'll refer to Rachel Wise's character as Marsha from here on out. Okay. Because that's the okay. the role she's playing or the, mm-hmm. the identity she's playing. So Marsha uh, starts to get upset. The nurse informs her that he was it was the only way to save his life because it stopped the bleeding. And lobsters can live without their eyes. And even grow them back. So, uh, and she tells tells her everybody knows that. So, <laughs> they uh, bring uh, Lobster David out, 
and give it uh, give uh, Lobster David to Marsha and offers their apologies. But there's no way to reverse this procedure. There's no way to reverse the transformation. This is where I thought of a second title. And it was The Lobster, My Lobster Husband. Uh, the Lobster, colon, My Lobster Husband. Uh, the Lobster, colon, so, is a trademarked band name, by the way. It is. Ew. Uh, you invented a band called Rat Fuck, Daniel. You don't get to judge me. Yeah, that's like good, clean, wholesome family fun. With nowhere to go, uh, Colby brings Marsha and Lobster David to her place. Uh, the place seems empty with no one home. Uh, it is actually a beach house near the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kobe informs Marsha that her parents are out of town on business and have been gone for weeks. They never seem to be there ever. Um, she was actually assigned to them at the hotel um, that everyone was at before and has lived with them for about a year now after they've been coupled and have gone through the program. Um, she kind of lives here by herself and just kind of takes care of herself since her parents aren't around. Marsha informs her that she could report them to the authorities and be reassigned to a new couple if she wants, because obviously they're n- neglecting mm-hmm. or they're not being good a good couple by neglecting a child like that. Um, uh, or they're ignoring, they're not using the child for its purpose, I guess. Um, and uh but colby isn't interested in that she tells her that uh she kind of prefers being kind of alone she's kind of a loner herself uh and also that she really hates uh the hotel and um the stay that the part that she hates the most is being on the yacht towards the end of the process because she gets seasick from here uh we cut to a scene in the woods, we see a lot of dogs tearing into a body. The camera then pans out, and then we see the loner leader, who was previously left in that grave, standing over them. Uh, she turns to a bunch of o- other loners that are standing nearby, and she asks them if anyone else has any other objections to her plan. The loner leader has seemingly found a way to control the dogs or get them on her side. And now they, she has this pack of dogs at her disposal. Where was this idea in the ghost rooms? I don't know. <laughs> the next scene, we see her and the other loners mm-hmm. and the dogs uh, raid the hotel and killing anyone who tries to stop them. Jesus. And also capturing a good amount of the residents and the staff. Hmm. They're only tr- they're only killing anybody who is attacking them back. Mm-hmm. But as far as like if someone's not attacking or is succumbing, they're just capturing those people. Uh, she rounds up the captives one by one and takes them into the animal changing room, the transformation chamber room, whatever. And she turns each one of them into a dog. Uh, one man at one point tells her that he doesn't mm. want to become a dog, that he wants to be a panda bear. <laughs> Uh, she tells him that he, she cannot turn him into a panda bear because she needs dogs, but she can turn him into a Dalmatian if he wants. He complies, and she does this until all the other captives have been You know, what's weird dogs. is I can hear that in my head in the, the patter of the movie speech. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to be a dog. I want to be a panda bear. I'm sorry, I can't turn you into a panda bear, but I can turn you into a Dalmatian. Yes, that should be all right. Yeah. 
exactly. That's kind of like the sure. The no, it's great. I was trying to. I love it. Like, uh, so after that happens, after she turns everyone into dogs, we cut back to the beach house uh, where Colby and Marcia discuss what they're going to do with David, the lobster. They decide to get a tank for now to keep him there for the time being. Marcia is very depressed, and Colby tries to talk to her about what David was like. She tells him about how David was short-sighted, and he spent a lot of time to make their relationship work um, by finding things they have in common, but they never could really find anything else but their short-sightedness. Mm-hmm. But she still loved him, though. He took all that time and was willing to stick through it with her. Kobe talks with her about love and why people need to have anything in common to have a relationship and how she doesn't think that she could ever have a relationship with anyone uh, because she never seems to have anything in common with anyone that she meets. Again, she's she tells she's like, I'm more, kind of establishing that she's kind of a lone person that likes just to be alone. And she doesn't really like helping people until she met Marsha. Uh-huh. Marsha then asks, oh, well, I'm sure you could find somebody who has some sort of commonality with you. She asks her what she likes. Um, Colbert. Uh, Colbert. Colbert. Stephen Colbert. Colbert. Yeah. I picked a difficult name. I don't know. I, uh, Colby isn't like, yeah. <laughs> Colby's being played by Stephen Colbert this entire time. Yeah. Colby tells her that she likes soda, running, and watching other people get arrested. <laughs> Marsha asks... <laughs> Marsha asks her why she likes such a horrible thing, and Colby replies that she likes the taste and the bubbles. Uh, I get it. <laughs> Colby then leaves Marsha alone for a bit to run to the store to go get some food. She tells Marsha not to wander too much because she's afraid she will break something in their house and that her parents will be mad at her. Marsha ends up roaming around anyway because she has to use the restroom and makes her way into her room. Uh, it is not a bathroom but it is in fact a bedroom. sex dungeon not quite marcia can't tell beyond the smell but there are two <laughs> bodies can't tell because of the smell that it's a sex dungeon yeah marcia can't tell beyond the smell that there are two bodies in the room mm. one of them is in the bed and the other one is slumped on the floor next to it hmm. each oh, seem shit. to be um decomposing and they seem to have been for a while Eventually, she feels around and touches one of the bodies and screams. Once Colby gets back to the home, she reveals that the two bodies were, in fact, her assigned parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their common trait is that they both like to yell a lot. Are dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Their common trait that they are decomposing corpses, so they're perfect together. Mm. But no, uh, their common trait is that they both like to yell a lot. One day, they're yelling at each other about the sort of matching pajamas that they should buy. Uh, Don, the dad, wanted to buy silk, and Marsha wanted satin. Marsha <laughs> pulled a revolver from her side drawer and then shot Don and then shot herself. They both died wearing cotton pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> so after that's done, that whole scene, uh, Colby and Marsha decide what the best thing to do with David is, and that is to release him into the sea. Because he, uh, in the first movie, he talks, one of the first scenes, he talks about how he loves the ocean. Mm. And he's a lobster. It makes sense. Before they release him, though, they wanted to throw him kind of a going away party slash funeral type thing. And at the party, Marsha reads a eulogy slash dedication to David and tells him that she wishes she could go with him and that he 
that he was the only person that ha- she had ever seemed to have a real connection with in the entire world. Um, also that she regrets writing down everything in her journal that documented every incriminating thing about them. Yeah. <laughs> and, in, and in retrospect, how short-sighted that was. Oh, oh. God. <laughs> Madison packing the jokes this week. <laughs> As they're about to release David into the ocean, they're interrupted by the loner leader and her dog army. Uh, they attempt to run with David, Which, but are blocked. No, sorry. I didn't right. mean to interrupt. I was going to say, I think what you meant to say was the one leader and her dog soldiers. That's true. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me go back. As they are, <laughs> are about to release David, uh, as they about to release David into the ocean, they are interrupted by the loner leader and the dog soldiers to the strays. Uh, they attempt to run with David, uh, but they are blocked in by a bunch of the uh, human loners that are with uh, the loner leader as well, um, and a bunch, about 40 dogs. <laughs> uh, Marsha and Colby are knocked out, and then they wake up outside the animal transformation room mm-hmm. um, at the hotel, where the loner leader is sitting at a dinner table with a boiling pot <laughs> no. and plates. Marsha and Colby come too. Uh, Marsha is confused as she cannot see what's going on, but she can hear the loner leader speaking. Her and Colby are tied to chairs um, in front of the table. The loner leader tells her that David's time is up and uh, she will have her revenge on David for leaving her for dead in a grave, but that she is not so heartless that she will let him die alone. If Marsha wants to die with David and be boiled with him, she'll allow that. Marsha decides to and is led into the transformation room mm-hmm. and becomes a lobster as well. The lobsters. Yeah, no, I got it. The lobsters. Oh, no. Okay, now I get it. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I don't get it. Can you explain that to me a little bit okay. more? Okay, let me try. The lobsters. Mm, so, like, there's a lobster and then... There's another lobster. There's, so there's two lobsters. Yeah. It's two lobsters. Let me try this. Let me try this. The lobsters? Mm, so, <laughs> okay, so then, so so now there's two lobsters. Yeah. Oh, the lobsters! There it is, there it and is. And it's the second movie. Oh! And there's two lobsters. You know? And that was my title, The Lobster 2, The Lobsters. Oh, because all the, coming together. The two lobsters, can, yeah. Da- yeah. Madison, I can say with full certainty that of all the episodes we've done, this is your best constructed joke that you took the entire pitch to build to. This is the funniest one. Nothing you said before this has ever been funny. That you've constructed. Mike, you're going to make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> I was mostly insulting. You're your... humbling me so much right now. I was trying to insult your uh, subtle knife joke from oh. two weeks ago. Well, now I want to cry from it for a different reason. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted. So. <laughs> okay. Well, t- the tears are flowing either way. I guess you were too subtle with that one, Mike. Ooh. <laughs> you know what they say. As the song goes, the first cut is the subtlest. <laughs> Baby, I know. Anyway. Yeah. Colby watches in horror as the loner leader is about to put both of them in the pot of boiling water. Out of hopelessness, she does the only thing her adopted parents ever taught her to do. Yell. <laughs> she yells at the top of her lungs so much that it scares many of the dogs out of the room. 
The loner leader shakes her to get her to shut up, but is unable to. Uh, she decides to shut her up by cutting out her tongue, which she does to people in the first movie, the loners that fornicate in the woods. Right, they like cut their lips a bunch and shit. Yeah. She grabs the knife from the table and undoes uh, Colby's binds because um, she's wiggling too much. She needs to like lay on her to like do the thing. As she goes to cut her tongue out, Colby wrestles out of her grasp and then runs into the transformation room. Hmm. The loner leader hesitantly approaches the door and opens it. Out of the door jumps a very large pack leader wolf that wrestles loner leader to the ground and bites her leg, wounding her badly. Wolf Colby grabs both Lobster Marsha and Lobster Dave. <laughs> Lobster Dave. <laughs> in her wolf mouth and then starts to make her way out of the room. Mm-hmm. As she leaves, the dogs are returning to the room, and Wolf Colby barks and looks at the bleeding loner leader on the floor um, and kind of, like, moves her head towards the loner leader. The dogs then take her command, and as she leaves the hotel, we hear growls, snarls, and screams of the loner leader. Wolf Colby then takes both of the lobsters to the edge of the ocean and watches as they make their way, slowly crawling into the ocean, both of their claws wrapped around each other. Aww. And then the credits roll. You know, every time you say loner leader, I keep thinking like, rotor rooter, loner leader. That That's the name of the No, I know. The I, I, yeah. I wasn't like, I just, something about the way that the syllables match up. Loner leader. All right, got any. Do you have anything that you want us to, to talk about here at the end of your... No, I I um I don't think so. I don't I don't have anything in particular. Is there anything that you stuck out to you guys? I uh, I just have a quick world building question. Uh, since I did not see the first movie, mm-hmm. are people when they are transformed into animals are they like still aware of their like self being? See, I think it's implied that that's not the case. Okay, but see, I I feel like I, I sort of thought it was because they have a conversation in the first movie where people keep their traits because they have a conversation where. The three friends or whatever, Mm -hmm. John C. Riley's character says he wants to become a parrot so he can still talk. But John C. Riley's character still has a lisp. Mm. And one of the guys says, even when you transform, you still have the traits of yourself. So I I thought it was... I thought it was like physical traits, like lisping, not necessarily. I mean, it's six of one. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. We'll say for Madison's pitch, yes, you do. Yeah. I went into that saying yes i did have a question you glossed it a little bit and it's fine is there like legitimately a way that the loner leader gains control of dogs i well the thing about her character in the first movie i saw her very as a very smart person or like she's very adaptive and i kind of saw her as oh maybe she like already had some like skills in that or like making like them follow her or... i guess my question is is it she's like a dog whisperer is it sheer for, like sheer force of will or is it some kind of telekinesis something like you know what i mean like is it some kind <laughs> yeah. of animal telepathy or is it just she's such a commanding presence and will that they follow her yeah I think it's more the commanding presence. Okay, and that's yeah. fine. Like, yeah. So I don't think it's magic. So it's like in it's like in How to Train Your Dragon two when the bad Viking just yelled really loud, and then the big dragon had to listen to him because his voice was so loud. I didn't understand that movie. Yeah. No, you're not a Viking. Sorry, that's just that's just a gripe I had <laughs> with How to Train Your Dragon two. Didn't make a lot of sense. That dragon was so big, but that man just yelled loud, and the dragon had to follow him. And 
I didn't get it. Um, Daniel, well, we didn't tell you before you got on here, but there's a strict rule of not talking about other sequels uh, because it really <laughs> makes us depressed that we cannot make sequels to movies that have already had sequels. So um, you're really bumming us out right now. <laughs> An odd limit we set on ourselves, but I like it. Yeah. Any other questions? No, you really, I think you really nailed the like upping the level of how fucked up the movie gets. Yeah. To aspect of it. Yeah. I, I mean, Cause I going into like before I even watched the movie, I'm like, Oh, I'll be able to like make some sort of like goofy, like dumb thing. But after watching the movie, I'm like, man, tonally, I can't even go into like very ridiculous. Like I, I think I went in a little ridiculous with the, um, loner leader, controlling the dogs Mm -hmm. maybe and then changing a lot of people into dogs. But see that part, um, actually the changing him, I thought was spot on. I thought that was great. I agree. Like the, just like now she controls dogs was a little bit of a, a yeah. bit of a Hail Mary, but <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, if nobody's got any more questions or anything. No. What are our fake sponsors of the, uh, this week? I, I don't know. I came up with them last time. For this midsection. This week is brought to you by butter. Mm, um, butter. You dip lobster in it and it's good. Daniel, you have a sponsor? You have an ad? <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, this episode of Equalizer is brought to you by Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. Visit that at audiomorphs.podbean.com or Audiomorphs on iTunes. That was a better one. Where you can take the Yerkpool challenge. Uh, and you know what? It's relevant. In book five, Marco does turn into right. a lobster and almost gets eaten. All right. Now, now that we've got all the uh, bookkeeping out of the way. Yeah. So, Mike, what do you got lobster-wise? All right. Mine is called Just the Lobster 2. I didn't get fancy this week. I need to start. You don't even have it. A- yeah, I don't have a subtitle. Uh, I prefer to let the work stand on its own and not use cheap gimmicks like subtitles or more than the accepted number of colons. You don't have a single colon? No. You know what, Mike? It's transgressive, all right? It's something. It's art. It's pushing the boundaries. What are we even doing if there's not a single colon there? All right. The Lobster's 2, colon, the creature. I thought you were going to say it's just the lobster two colon. <laughs> pretty into it. All right. So my film uh, actually focuses on the hotel. Okay. And it's set shortly after Colin Farrell escapes after animalizing the heartless woman. It's a new crop of guests have arrived. It's probably been a week at the most. And one of them is a woman, Emily, played in my movie by Freema Martha Jones, a Jemin. Freema Jemin, who plays Martha Jones in the Doctor Who uh, more recent era. Uh, she is an aromantic woman, which for people who don't know means she, or is not romantically attracted to people, I think. Before this, she and another arrow person had basically just lied and gotten married to just to uh, evade the law and not have to deal with it. But that partner died recently and Emily was sent to the hotel. Emily is one of the first generation of guests to be offered the option of caring for the creature Uh, the manager really plays up how grotesque this creature is and basically everyone is put off Uh, but emily tries to sign up and she sees all the spots with the exception of about four hours is claimed by robert who is john c Riley's character from the first one in my movie an hour with the creature is one extra day okay and instead of hunting you can take this option because but it's not many people do it because it's unpleasant uh so emily takes a few slots that he doesn't take and this is also where we're going to meet some of our new lovable cast of goobers because the first movie was filled with such such a great cast of the heartless woman buttered biscuit woman nosebleed woman yeah first we meet gail 
She's a middle-aged woman who's looking for a mate with hearing loss in her left ear, like she has. Uh, she's actually been at the hotel for a little while, and she's kind of getting low on days. Like, she's got a couple weeks left, but her time's not, she doesn't have the full time. Uh, we also meet newcomers Mort and Martin, who are identical twins looking for love. They kind of form their group, and we see them playing golf together, having drinks, etc. They're sitting and chatting about what animals they'd become. Emily wants to be an owl, Gale a small shark. Mort and Martin both pick ostriches. Uh, we cut to Emily appearing for creature duty, and we never see the creature with camera angles. We kind of don't ever see it, but yeah. it's clear that the person sitting there does see it. We meet John C. Riley again here, and he tells her uh, the story. The, the creature, I'm sure you've guessed by now, is the heartless woman. Is the Babadook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what did you say? The Babadook. It's the Babadook. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought he said the creature is John C. Riley. No. <laughs> oh, man. That's the twist. He was the creature the whole time. <laughs> you just had to sit with John C. Riley in a room for like. Oh, <laughs> that's mean. Sorry. Oh, man. So he, he kind of confesses really the main reason that he volunteers for like this is that he sucks at hunting. And so this is really his only option while looking for love. I mean, in the first movie, he was apprehended and stripped down naked <laughs> yeah. by Colin Farrell. At first, character. I was really confused by that bit until I realized, oh, no, they're using those clothes. Like, they put the clothes on when they go into town. That's That, yeah. I got it. But at first, I was like, wait, why the fuck is he just taking his clothes now, too? Just wants to see John C. Robinson. Yeah. Dick. yeah. <laughs> that's the creature. Don't we all? Don't we all? Oh, that's the creature. Oh, all right, so a week goes by, and this is a little bit of a montage of Emily and her friends at the seminars, the dances, just hanging out by a poolside, having a good time. We also see a little bit of Emily and John C. Riley chatting as they're changing of the guard and creature duty. Uh, a lot of people approach Emily at the dances, and we see her dancing with a lot of them, but she just isn't really into it. We see a couple shots of her going to, for the sign-up sheet, and John C. Riley has beaten her to it but we also notice that he has filled her name in on more of the slots than last time like he got to the sheet first and instead of just taking everything like he slotted her name in too and gave her a little bit some more um blocks there oh that's nice at one poolside hangout gail mentions that she's not doing very good at the hunting uh emily encourages her not to give up mort suggests maybe she uh, apply for creature duty but gail says she tried and was told that the list was full Emily doesn't tell them she's on the list or offer up one of her slots. And again, just kind of encourages Gail not to give up. And I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll, you'll get a, get one soon. Cut to Emily, Mort and Martin releasing a small shark into the ocean. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> uh, walking back, they see a new crop of guests coming in. Mort kind of stops to talk to one and the, it's a middle-aged man and, he asks more to repeat what he said. He's lost some hearing in his left ear. Aww. And this this really shakes Emily to the core. We get kind of a repeat montage of the same stuff that happened in the first one, except Emily just looks like haunted. Yeah. This gets interrupted by John C. Riley. Like it's one of the scene I imagine is she's sitting there in the you know, creature duty, just like the thousand yard stare, and John C. Riley interrupts her. Um, she's lost track of time and her shift is over and he kind of guesses why she's this haunted. Oh, you you lost a friend or one of your friends turned into an animal, right? And she, and he starts talking about just how cruel the system is on top of that. It's, you know, you have 45 days, but maybe the person you're looking for is not even in the hotel yet. 
and John C. Riley agrees, and he kind of he muses that it's odd that it's largely self-inflicted, seeing that like the guests outnumber the staff by a lot and could easily just take over if they wanted. Uh, Emily comments that the manager probably also terrifies most of the people so that they don't even consider it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily awakes in the night. This is the night of the loner attack from the first movie. Okay. Where they bust in and fuck with the manager and her husband and stuff. This is kind of where I get a little vague because I the manager's going to be not as formidable at this point, I think. Yeah. Emily and John C. Raleigh start basically trading spots on the creature duty roster for favors like buying votes and support among the other guests and eventually emily is going to wrest control away and run the hotel as a haven for people um there's it's not i don't want to draw a parallel here it's like the way in hotel rwanda they run that hotel as yes this this guest had brought in three loners today so they get three more days when they didn't have you guys seen hotel rwanda no no uh it's about the genocide in Rwanda where the like a the generally oppressed class of people finally came into power and just started I'm I, I know I'm butchering the history of this, but basically this one guy who ran like a five star hotel started using it as a haven for the people being murdered and faked them as guests. Would like send them bills and say, Oh yes, you know, how's your reservation and pretended like they were hotel guests when really they were he was hiding them from the genocide. Mm. I'm not trying to draw a direct parallel to that because it's not. I'm just saying the similar. Um, I'm just saying like the similar scheme of kind of it's, it's the like way a, Emily is going to run the hotel is faking. Oh yeah, you you brought in three loners today. Here's three more days. Like catching gotcha. animals in the woods and releasing them from the hotel. Oh, sorry, they didn't make it. Now they're we're letting them go or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Emily is providing a respite for the loners in the world. Yeah. And like, it's like, you don't have to fall in love here, but like, Hey, it's also more like like you don't have just 45 days. Yeah. You can take Mm -hmm. as long as you want. And I think also Emily very neatly continues to ignore that. She cites Gail as her, the reason she's doing this. Oh, I lost this friend because she didn't have enough time. Very neatly ignoring the fact that she also is culpable for this because she didn't help. I don't want it to sound like I'm letting that go. Like that's going to be a part of the thing is Emily is very much, this is my inspiration. This is great. But also dealing with the fact that like, you know what? I fucked up and I didn't help her. And so that's, that's the end of that plot. I, like I said, it's very much details of, Oh, and then they get this person's support to do this. Like the kind of like in a bug's life too. me explaining (laughs) the interlocking puzzle piece parts of this plot is going to be, not very interesting. The thing I think we could dig into that might be a little bit more interesting is the B plot. There are bees in this yeah. movie? Is this a B movie? No. We should do a B movie at some point, though. We should. Yeah, so Channing Tatum and Mia Kunis show up at the hotel. As themselves? No, as their characters from Jupiter Ascending. Oh, oh all right. The B story, that was originally my A story before I realized the Emily arc, I think, was more narratively fulfilling is John C. Riley falls in love with the creature. Got it. Mm. Again, me describing the little moments where he falls in love with the creature didn't sound like narratively or interesting to listen to, but we could like Mm -hmm. riff it a little bit or something. 
to fill it out. Did you decide not to delve into that because the shape of water stole your thunder? Yeah, I didn't even think about the shape of water, actually. I realized also I gave Daniel a lot of shit for Super Mario's pitch when I basically pitched something very similar, like seizing the seizing power. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of the end of my pitch. It's very light, I suppose. But I, I like the usage of never seeing the creature mm-hmm. um, because... I think that provides a lot of, at least cinematography-wise, just a lot of fun angles. If John C. Riley and the creature do actually fall in love, there could be... fuck. Yeah, like, seriously, there could be a scene where, like, you're looking from, like, the creature's perspective, and John C. Riley comes Mm. forward, and then it, like, pans away or something. Yeah, and and cuts to him, Emily showing up for duty, and he's leaving, like, putting his tie back on or something. Yeah, stuff like that. I definitely think that would be the more B story yeah. of the, the or, movie. Originally, my A story was, I thought about the, orig- I thought she was like a chimera, like he just mixed and matched animal parts, but they make it sound yeah. like it was one animal. So originally that was my idea. And then I thought about like, well, John C. Riley might still be at the hotel. And what are they like, while they're trying to fix her, they're going to need somebody to kind of help look after her and maybe that. And I was like, oh, of course he falls in love with the creature. And yeah. then later I thought, no, you know what? I think the better fulfilling a story is a person who doesn't feel romantic love put in a position where, hey, you need to find, you have 45 days to find romantic love. And I wasn't going to go yeah. down the disgusting, well, she learns to love for the first time. Like, no, because that's completely like erasure and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I so. wasn't going to do that. So I shout out to uh, Jackson Eflin. I whispered my pro- my story problems into a mirror and he appeared and gave me the idea that she re- starts recruiting people for I had like three yeah. ideas one of them being she becomes like the secret shadow manager like a mob the real power behind the throne uh, that she just takes over somehow and then my third option I thought of was make her uh, polyamorous and she falls in love with two people okay but but then, but then you get in like were you gonna go with like a love triangle and that I or don't, like... that's the thing was and I it was getting to be about 1130 last night and I hadn't settled on <laughs> what my actual plot was going to be and I just was like Jackson I need your help because I'm just sitting here thinking oh but what about this and not making decisions and hmm that sounds familiar oh wait that was me at 730 this morning <laughs> did Jackson also help you <laughs> no okay. no um, but I I feel like Jackson was with me during the whole process. <laughs> <laughs> Patron saint of equalizers, Jackson Eflin. Yeah. In-house wizard. Yeah. Uh, did you have like an idea on like the cast or anything? Like I said, I, it's always my that, that's always my question with like the pitches. I don't I like. Think. It's I don't think it's like like just for like some visual. Same like, manager, obviously. Uh, the actress's yeah. name is Olivia Coleman. Uh, like I said, Freema Jimin for Emily. Uh, I think I'm going to get John C. Riley to play John C. Riley's character. I think that's a bad move. Yeah. Can you, can you spell Freema Jimin? Yeah, F-R-E-E-M-A-A-G-Y-E-M-A-N. Cool. You can cut that out. I just want to have Yeah, I'm definitely going to cut out me spelling Freema Jimin's name. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have to leave it in because I'm going to be laugh. Yeah, well... We'll figure it out. Um, also, every time either one of you said John C. Riley at the John C., my yeah. mind immediately went to John Cena, and it was, it was tough. And then you start hearing. It uh, was a real struggle for me. You started hearing his uh, entrance music. Yeah, but I couldn't see him. I don't really know <laughs> that many slightly maybe thirty-year-old male twins to play Mort and Martin. It could be the same actor just playing both. Roles. That's a good point. 
If they're identical twins, that is. You know what? Let's, we'll, we'll bring it back to Dog Soldiers 2. I'm getting Dave Franco. You mean Dave Franco? Okay. <laughs> and then Gale. Daniel, what, 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 what's, the, what's the vibe you're getting off, off this Gale character? Betty White. Betty White. Well, okay. I said middle-aged, but fair she enough. Shows, she's, she's showing up again. She was in our uh, Dog Soldiers 2. That's true, yeah. I mean, last week we had Bob Hoskins making his second appearance. That is true. So post Posthumously. <laughs> Posthumously. Posthumously. You said like posthumously, like he's ascended beyond human. <laughs> I mean, which kind of. Well, yeah. <laughs> the I thought mean, entity Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's also a trademark band name. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, uh, that's, that's kind of what I got. It's a lot lighter on detail than Madison you had. I think it's good, though. I, I like that. I also like how it's not... I like we had like we had two pitches. One was a continuation of the story. One was just another story in the same universe. Yeah, and I had I had multiple characters reappear, so it's a good sequel. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not still bitter. Yeah. Alright, so am I up? I think you're up. You're, yeah, you're unless the, you guys... If nobody's right. got anything uh, else... You're the decider. Two. Yep. Here's, here's my thoughts. I think I hate this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's Having said that, <laughs> that's, that's that's very fair. That's a fair judgment. Yeah. Good judgment, oh fair judgmenter. Honestly, watch it up until Rachel Weiss gets blinded, and it's just kind of weird and kooky and dark. Mm. But it's not too much. Sure. I don't think. All right. Having said that, I'll say that uh, Mike, you lost some points there for naming a lot of your characters. That felt very out of the spirit of the film. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, I. I felt like Madison really captured the kind of bleak ennui. And is that is that the word? Ennui. 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 We're all just Actually, messing uh, up F-R-E-E-M-A words today. E E M A A G Y E M A N. I actually think it's on fleek. Yes. I think that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, Madison was on fleek with their uh, ennui of the, the bleak ennui of the the original film. Wow. I really got that vibe strongly. Having said that again, I learned during Madison's pitch that I hate this movie, and um, it's real Iron Chef vibe going. Here. Yeah, it's it's real back and forth for me. Um, I feel like judging strictly on the merits of uh, fitting the tone and the spirit of the first film, Madison would win. But judging on my personal preferences, I'd probably watch Mike's film first. I hated that one less, so I'd probably go with Mike. Damn it. Uh, you were just too good at writing this time, Madison. You wrote a film that I hated. Awesome. Good. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. I like, no one can see this except for me and Daniel, but you said about Madison, like he was going and he started to do like yeah. a fist pump. <laughs> and as soon as you turned, he just kind of lowered the arm and turned it into leaning on his desk. Yeah. And I was like, no, I, I definitely like went up to like prepare the fist pump to like go up. And then as it was going down, I was like, oh no. And then like oh man, like, you know what I could have oh no, never mind because by the time this comes out, it won't be topical anymore. I was gonna do a topical Oscars joke where I pretend uh, to say Madison and then it's the wrong name, but I uh, I have a solution for next year's Oscar uh, best picture uh-huh. concept, and it is before the Oscars. You guys just need to record an episode for each nominee, and that way, no matter what it is, you'll have it Jesus ready to go Christ. and just fire it off as soon as it's announced. We could just do a twenty-four hour just like jam. <laughs> Honestly, I think that we could do that. 
we just like read synopses of all the best pictures. Yeah. And then we just go for it. And it would be like a two hour episode, but yeah, you know, we're going to have to do our own Oscars of all the sequels we've pitched. Oh yeah. Absolutely. At some point, probably at the end of the 50 episode 52, we should do like by the end of by next year, there could be a March madness mm. with like, different Oh, that's tiers. fun. Yeah. We should do that. Once our Twitter followers will engage with us. Once we have thousands of Twitter followers by once we've learned to control dogs and they are at our command. Yes. <laughs> so Daniel, what yes. movie are me and Mike doing next week? Yeah. This is a new thing that Madison and I are going to do where the guest, when they, we like to have them do two episodes if they can. If not, then at the end of their first appearance or their second, whichever there is their last one, uh, they're going to pick the next week's movie for us to watch. So, Daniel. I was kind of thinking of this during your guys' pitches, and then, oh, I had a good one, and now I'm completely blanking on what that good one was. All right, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to settle for my backup because I cannot think of what my original idea was that I very much liked. Maybe next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my backup movie for you guys to do would be Three Ninjas. Three Ninjas. Yes. Was there a sequel? To, I thought there was. Was there a sequel to Three Ninjas? Oh, Shit, I actually on. do think there's a sequel. To I, Three I thought Ninjas. it was like God Three Ninjas it. Strike Back or something. Was it? Was it Warriors of Virtue? Yeah. Yep. One? Three Ninjas Kick Back. God okay. damn it! All right. Sorry. Sorry. Um. Yeah, that's a real shame. In that case. Oh no, I got it. I remember what my original one was. Now this one does not have a sequel. I am sure of it. It was Meet Dave. Meet, Meet Dave. Dave. All right. It's an Eddie Murphy. It's movie, an Eddie right? Murphy movie. Yes, yeah. it's the Eddie Murphy movie where a bunch of Eddie Murphys pilot a giant Eddie Murphy. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm so excited. I feel like Eddie Murphy, just as like a filmography, is going to be chock full of movies. He that... does not do a lot of sequels. No. That's true. The, yeah. The thing that I would love, and I feel like you can do, is go down to Eddie Murphy's filmography and click each movie and look at how many of the how many other actors are in Eddie Murphy movies that aren't <laughs> just Eddie Murphy. All right, Madison Jones, tell the people where they can find us. You guys can find us on iTunes at The Equalizers. That's T-H-E space E-Q-U-E-L as in sequel I-Z-E-R-S. That's The Equalizers at on iTunes, on Google Play, and Podbean equalizers.podbean.com you can get to us also through facebook and twitter at the equalizers Uh, our instagram is the underscore equalizers where we try to post a teaser image for each episode Uh, maybe you were one of the lucky few who solved our sphinx's riddle on what this week's teaser was for Uh, you can also email us at equalizers at gmail.com Thanks to our theme, Rock Thing, go to Creo. You can find their work at www.creo-music.com. Daniel, where can they find you at and your stuff? If you love the hit children's sci-fi series Animorphs, but hate using your eyes to read, you can visit me at audiomorphs.podbean.com or Audiomorphs on iTunes, and I will just read those books to you. <laughs> All right. Well, Daniel, thank you for returning to correctly assess the quality of our pitches. Uh, We are going to throw that up on Twitter, let you all have your vote, but I ain't scared. But I am right, and my decision is final, so. Yeah. Is The Lobsters 2 colon The Creature. Yeah, I do want it to be on the record that I did win. He did. I I will never try to cheat you of that. I have a ghost win of (laughs) of the Into the Woods pitch, so we are one you 
ghost one me yeah. when we re- re-record into the woods we will again mention that you had you took the official w home on that one w for wario <laughs> well that's all the time we've got so for the equalizers i'm madison jones i'm daniel Nah. i'm mike Knoll. the creature is john c Riley's dick to be continued <laughs>